noticed. And even then, his voice comes in a whisper. He starts with the one, the lone pioneer. From the one he calls the few. From the few, he calls the many. In one hand, a shovel. The other, a sword. To protect what we build. We work in dirt and stone, in hearts and souls. Sometimes God calls us to build with shovels. Sometimes he calls us to build with swords. All right, we're ready to kick off a new series. How's everybody doing this morning? Okay, excellent. All right. I hope you have a great start to the Thanksgiving week. We're looking forward to uh, uh, this week. I know that I'm looking forward to getting out of town for a little bit. Hopefully you guys are as well. Take your Bibles, the book of Nehemiah. If you don't have a Bible, uh, go ahead and uh, look upon the screen. Or I should, we used to say open your Bible. Now it's kind of like turn on your Bible. Like, I mean, how many of you, you're all digital now. I mean, you read your Bible on your phone. Yeah, right? Exactly. So uh, either open it or Turn it on, either one that works for you. Glad that you're here this morning. We're kicking off a new series entitled Great and Awesome. You'll see where our title came from in this first chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Looking forward to see what God's going to do in this series. Our church is at a great point, a great stage. There's a lot that God has for our church. We're looking forward to this next season. But as I began to prepare for this series and what God had for us, I was thinking, okay, this series is going to be about generosity. That's where we're going to go. Pray for me. I've had a sore throat, and uh, so it's hopefully it holds up for the rest of the service. And uh, so I was thinking maybe it'll be generosity. And, and, of course, there are elements to that in the book of Nehemiah. But then I was thinking, okay, nah, just God, where do you have us going? And then, and then I thought, oh, faith series. That's what we need to increase our faith. And so I thought, yeah, there are elements to it. But then the one point that kept coming back to me, it was one where I almost was like, no, not that. Not that, God. We can, we can touch on other things, but that, uh, let's not. And it was this idea of success because I kind of grew up in an environment and I grew up in the church and that was that, hey, Christians don't win. Christians don't succeed. Matter of fact, to be a Christian means you choose to lose. I mean, the example of Jesus, you know, uh, preferring others and giving to others first. But I think too often that kind of mindset creeps its way into the church where we don't think that, wait a minute, God has called us to win, to succeed. And it's with that thought that I was kind of like, all right, maybe, maybe that's where really God's leading our church to. And I came across a verse by the Apostle Paul, and I love what he said, because too often we have this mindset that winning, no, that's not exactly a holy motive. But the Apostle Paul, he wrote this in 1 Corinthians. He said, don't you realize that a race, that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? But he finishes the verse. So run to win. The Apostle Paul said, so run to win. Now, I don't know anybody here who's like, I'm going to get in a relationship, and I just hope to blow this thing up. No. Oh, man, I'm starting this new job, and I can't wait for this new job, and I just hope I get fired within two weeks. Wouldn't that be awesome? No. That's crazy. Oh, I just got married. and got a new husband. This is great. Let's see how soon we can just get divorced. Let's see if we can beat the Kardashians in their record and all that. Like, no, nobody does that. And if you do, you need a lot more help than I can give you, all right? 
And uh, nobody says, oh, I got kids. Let's see if I can get my kids all messed up so they're on therapy the rest of their life. Nobody does that. Nobody goes into life thinking, I want to fail. Actually, we all go in wanting to succeed. We want to succeed at the marriage. We want to succeed at the relationship. We want to succeed at the job. We want to win. But yet too often, I meet so many Christians who think winning is not of God. And I'm here to tell you that God does want you to win. He created you after his image. And so God wants you to do great things. He wants great things to happen. And so we're going to have that thought in our mind as we go through the book of Nehemiah because God does want us to succeed. He wants the church to succeed. He wants you to succeed. He doesn't want you to say, oh, okay, it's just good to lose. No. Even dying on the cross, Jesus choosing to die was actually winning. Him dying wasn't just so that he could beat death. It was so he could destroy death once and for all. So that we could have eternal life. So Jesus, he even gives the example of the ultimate win. And so I know when it comes to winning and success, we're kind of like, I don't know. But in this series, we're going to talk about it. And I know what happens too often, we have to look outside of the church to look at how to be successful. Because too often we look in the church and we're like, everybody broke. Everybody looking for a job. Everybody's dysfunctional. I need to go somewhere else for success. Wait a minute. I shouldn't be. The church should be successful. We should be innovators. We should be leaders. We should be entrepreneurs. We should, this is what the church should be and can be and will be. This is what our church is. Where we're saying, hey, you know what? We want to succeed. Not just for our own personal gain. But because we're able to bless others. We're able to do other things. And God wants us to. And we're going to see that. And I know the last time you heard that, it may have been something where you're like, mm, I don't know. And maybe you're skeptical of winning and success. And I know why, because oftentimes people climb the ladder of success, and when you get to the top, it's re- leaning against the wrong wall. And you're like, well, that's not success. So you, you go all the way back down, and you start climbing the ladder on a different wall. By the time you get to the top, you're like, wait, success has moved again? I'm not, okay, I got to jump over here. I got to do this. I thought it was successful, but really it's over here, it's there. And so we get frustrated because we're like, how do we be successful? How do we succeed? How do we know that we, we've won? Is it earning money? And I firmly believe that God can change the outcome of your income. I totally believe that. I totally believe that God can turn things around for you. I totally believe that God wants to bless you and increase. And I do believe that God can take your passion and turn it into possibilities. But too often, here's what I mean. I mean, a lot of people that have a great idea, and an idea is great. That's awesome you have that idea. I love the idea. But yet they think because they have the idea, they therefore have impact. But they don't. They don't. This is where a lot of people have the idea, oh, I'm going to start this business. I'm going to uh, impact the world with a nonprofit. I'm going to start a church. But just because you have the idea does not mean you have impact. There is a missing ingredient. That ingredient is called implementation. You see, an idea without implementation will never have the impact. An idea without implementation, it's all the impact is all in your imagination. That's really where it's at. And so we as a church are taking the idea, we're implementing it, and therefore we're going to have impact. So we're taking the idea of 350 Christmas trees. That then we're going to have people from the community that are going to come, and we're going to have the ability to preach Jesus to them. We're going to have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ and how he can change their life. And so we're taking an idea, we're implementing it, therefore we can have impact. And so that same is true with your life. Don't just say, I've got this great idea, I heard this series on fight night, and I've got all these great ideas about my relationship, but you never apply any of them. The relationship will never change. You say, uh, Scripture talks about how to be successful, but if you never implement it, nothing about your life is going to change. You see, too often we walk into church and we walk out the exact same because we've not implemented anything that we've just received. 
Man, we pull out our, 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 our Southridge pen that we steal every week and we never return it. And we take notes. We hope God blesses it. I just want you to know, I pray you get diarrhea when you steal these pens, okay? I just want you to know that, all right? Some of you are like, what? What kind of pastor is this? A messed up one because I keep losing pens, all right? And so return the pens, pen thief. And uh, uh, welcome to Southridge. This is your first time. I hope you're getting a great impression of our church. Well, exactly. This is, I'm already in the holiday mood. You know how you go to work right now? Everybody's like kind of checked out because they're like getting a couple days off. Yeah, I'm kind of getting that mood. So we just might loosen up a little bit today. Somebody told me, they were like, you're dressing down, Pastor. I was like, I know exactly, I, but whatever. We'll just, we'll just roll with it. Just roll with it. But we believe that God wants us to, to see things happen. And that's what's going to bring us to this passage in Nehemiah. And so many times we're looking at where success is. But I came across this video, and, and I'm not really into sports. Like, I fake it. Like, I was, I'm happy. I know somebody was like, oh, you fake this. That's terrible. Like, I thought it was cool that we prayed the Niners won, and they actually won last week. So we're one and nine. It's like, yes. We're, we're, the, we're not the, 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 the O-Niners. We're the one-Niners. The one-Niners. I, I, you know, the one. We got one and nine. It's like a, a sympathy, you know, kind of thing. And so, but when I'm around people that like sports, this is me. All right. The Warriors, they won. Yay, the Warriors, they lost. Oh, you know, I just, I just don't care all that much. Like, this is me, true story. I care way more about what's going to happen in Justice League than I do what's going to happen in sports. Like, just being real with y'all, okay? I just, uh, that's the way my brain's wired, okay? I know I'm like, Superman better come back because if he doesn't come back at the end, and if you watch it and you tell me what happens before I see it, I'm just going to be mad, okay? Just don't do that. That's wrong, all right? There's a special place, not in heaven, reserved for people that give away spoilers, all right? So... But here we see, where is, where is the sports? And so there's this one commentator that I really like. And his name's Ernie Johnson. He's on ESPN. And uh, he's got just a great way about him. But the thing with Ernie Johnson that I admire so much is he has six children. But four of them he adopted from foreign countries. And some of them have disabilities. But even though he's got all this success and his fame and his name, I want you to see where he puts a ladder of success. So we're going to show this short clip real quick. Dad, obviously, I'm his buddy. We just like to do stuff together. Hi, Daddy. For what? I love you so much. I love you so much. You're a whack job. Come on. You are. <laughs> March 26, 2014. Ernie's in the studio until 3 a.m. A few hours later, he's up. The car show is going to be cool. The car show is going to be cool. Today is a big day. Michael lives for the car show every year. He loves it. He is so obsessed with cars, and he'll get that high-pitched, Daddy, as soon as the first car show commercial comes on. That's Christmas, Disneyland, all rolled up in one. On hook for two seconds, okay? Ready? Guys hanging out today, right? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, you and me. Daddy, Daddy, Michael. Says this way to the auto show. He is perfectly 
and wonderfully made. Toyota? Yeah, Toyota, yes. Toyota's right there. Here we go. Look at that. Yes. Yes. That one smells real new. That smells well new. Look. Sometimes our expectations get so high and our our desires get so high for the next this or the next that. Thank you very much. Hey, Michael, here we go. Michael, here we go. Inside. A Honda C-Wheel. You give Michael a car magazine or laminate a picture for him and he's like, I hit the lottery. You like it, this? Should I go to Daddy's? Yeah. Should I go to Daddy's car? Yeah. He's whole. He's, um... He's got to figure it out. I've seen all I care to see of this world. It has no more for me. He's my hero. I need the car. When I get the blues, I think Ernie and what he's been through. That only comes from my family. Too often when we look at success, we think, here's where it lies. And maybe we're wondering, what are the silly, but what are the keys to success? What does it what does it take to truly have success and not climb the ladder, but find that it's leaning against the wrong wall? Where you can go through the most difficult situation and see a family member, a loved one that you care deeply about, but yet still find such joy in their life and in your service to that person. I think too often we come, we come to the Bible, we come to Christianity, and we kind of look at it and we say, hey, where's the self-help? What's, what's good? But, but really what this series is all about is not so much self-help as self-sacrifice. It's where we're saying, all right, God, what, what do you want to say to me? And that's where we find this character by the name of Nehemiah. And let's go to the scripture. Notice verse number one. The Bible says the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I asked them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. You can see where we got our title, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins uh, we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are and are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I've chosen as a dwelling in my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed and by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants, who delight in recovering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. It's interesting how it was just a normal day for Nehemiah. Just a normal day. 
And on that normal day, he gets up not knowing that on that day, his course, his direction, his life was going to be shifted. You see, I think what's going to happen is tomorrow's going to be a Monday and you're going to get up early in the morning or, or whenever you wake up and you're going to get up and you're going to sleepily uh, uh, maybe hit the alarm clock a couple times and then you're going to finally get up and you're going to go over to the coffee machine and you're going to start making coffee or you're going to look at your spouse and throw something at them to get them to make coffee for you. And, and, and you're going to kind of get your day going. Maybe you got to get the kids up. Maybe you got to get breakfast going. Maybe, maybe you just got to, you're already thinking about what you have to do. And you're like, man, this is Thanksgiving. So everybody else is checked out at the office. So I'm going to have to do my work and their work. And then maybe you're cooking Thanksgiving and, and you're like, you've got all these things that you've got on your mind. And then you're looking at your spouse, like they ain't going to do nothing because there's football on. And you just kind of know like lower expectations and, and all the ladies in the room kind of sympathize because it's like you know all of us men are just not going to be any help at all this week and and you just kind of know it and you see it coming and you're like well it's just a Monday what's going to happen and it's just a Tuesday it's just a Wednesday it's just another Sunday I get up I go to church I do my little routine and not knowing that that particular day he was going to see his brother who is in town and he's going to talk to his brother and he's going to ask his brother a question and that question is going to change the direction of Nehemiah's life he didn't know it was just an ordinary day I think the disciples didn't know that that day where they were cleaning out their nets on the sea of Galilee as Jesus walked by that that day would forever change their life I don't think that day as Peter's cleaning out his net that Jesus walks up and all of a sudden he sees this man. I don't think Peter immediately thought, hey, guess what? God's going to use me to be a pastor of the future church at Jerusalem. God's going to use me at Pentecost. 3,000 people are going to be saved in one day. I don't think he knew. I don't think Paul knew in a moment as he's being lowered down in a basket running from his life that he knew that one day he's going to write 13 books of the New Testament. He's going to take the gospel around the world in a day and age where people didn't, li- didn't leave 10 miles from their home. The average person would not go 10 miles from their home. They would stay within 10 miles. It's just how society was. But here the Apostle Paul was going to take the gospel to the entire known world. I don't think he knew at that time. So I don't think you can write this week off. I don't think you can just write your Monday off. I don't think you just wake up and say, another day, another day. I think we do that too often, and we shortchange what God wants to do on an ordinary day. can become an extraordinary day. Because on this day, Nehemiah is going to meet his brother, and he's going to ask his brother a question. And you say, what is the first key to success? It's just that. It's ask. It's simple, I know. It's ask. I think too often we get so busy and so focused on our day that we can be rushing along and we can forget to ask our spouse, our children, our friends, our coworkers, our boss, hey, how are you? How are things going? And we forget, and I think it's too often to our detriment, that we don't ask. Our church, if you're new to our church, our church really shares a parallel with this story of Nehemiah and our church. You say, why? Because it was uh, where our church office is. We're portable. We have a permanent location for our office. And the office is on Bernal, and it's on Santa Teresa. And we would go to our office, and our office is literally just kind of a closet. It's got a, a little copier machine in there. It's got a desk, but it's just a storage closet. The cheapest thing we could get. We didn't want to spend a lot of money because none of us want to be there. There's no windows, no nothing to get stuffy. So we try not to spend time there. But across the street, there's an empty building. And we would see that empty building as we went into our stuffy closet. 
And we go day after day into our stuffy closet, but we see an empty building. And one day, God spoke to me, not audibly, lest you think that, wow, our pastor hears audibly from God. No, it's an impression upon my heart, okay? Don't look at me funny, okay? You're like, how do I hear from God, okay? And it's not like special hearing or anything. It's just that I believe that God impressed on my heart to simply do something so simple that other people thought, there's just no way. And that was simply just to ask for your building. Just to say, hey, you've got a building. Can I have it? Normal people don't do that. Normal people say you need money to ask for somebody's building. I don't have money, so I could just ask. So we went in June, and we just said, hey, can we have your building? Can we use your building? And then they replied, and they opened up the conversation. And then all of a sudden, doors started opening. Why? Because of an ask. Just think of the ask that you could do and just what doors would open up. Some of you, you're saying, I should have the promotion. I should be in that role. I should do. Have you ever asked for it? Some of you getting frustrated with your spouse or your children. Have you ever asked them about it? We get so frustrated because we simply don't ask. The first key to success is that, just ask. And I want to be really careful about enunciating ask. Because in the first service, I got going so fast, I didn't put the k on the ask. Okay? Don't let your mind wander. Filthy minds. You need to go to church. My goodness. And, uh, but I kept saying it, so I'm going to be really trying hard. There was a survey done at Princeton University. I've got an author that I really enjoy write, uh, reading his writing. He writes for the New Yorker, and his name is Malcolm Gladwell. And he did this whole survey, this research at Princeton University. And Princeton is a, a Ivy League school, but before it started off as a seminary to train people for ministry. They still have that section of the college, though it's not as well known. But they had a project for their students, a survey for their students. They were going to have their students teach on Luke 15, the story of the Good Samaritan. And so what they were going to do is they were going to have their students go across campus and give a lecture or teach or preach this sermon about the Good Samaritan. But what these students did not know is that the professors had put somebody halfway between where they were to where they were going to go Someone who was sick and hurting and somebody who needed help. Do you want to know what happened with these students who are on their way to teach about the Good Samaritan? What they did to the person who was there planted by the teachers? The teachers got it rigged so they would tell the student as soon as they got to the office. They would say, hey, you're late. You need to go now. And if they told the student you're late, you got to go now, none of the students stopped to help the person. But if they told the student who's about to give their lesson about the Good Samaritan that you have plenty of time, all the students would stop and help. You see, your perception of how much time you have, it kind of puts blinders so you don't see anybody else. So this week, it's going to be really easy to say, I don't have time for my spouse. I don't have time for my kids. I don't have time for anybody. And we can come to church and we can kind of get myopic and we think, oh, we don't have time and we're missing that simple ask. But I'm so glad that Nehemiah asked because it opens these doors. You see, Nehemiah, he's curious. And his curiosity is bigger than his cautiousness. Some of you are too cautious, you're not curious. So you don't ask. Because you're trying to play it safe. How many in the room, you're kind of like me. You're only going to ask if you know you can get a yes. Can I see your hand? Exactly. How many, you're the other way. You're going to ask no matter what. You don't care. You're just like, I'm going to ask. Good for you. I hate you. No, I'm just kidding. It's just, I wish I could be like that. I'm not. I'm the type of person that I'm like, man, I really hope. And I kind of got to prime the pump. And it takes forever to get to the ask. And some of you remember the first ask. Remember when you, you asked your wife out on a date or you asked that guy out or, or, or maybe when he proposed to you. You remember that. 
I remember I didn't really date in college in, or high school. I waited till college for whatever reason. I was just busy in high school, didn't care. But as soon as I got to college, I was like, yes, it's time. I'm going to date, all right? I am here. And so I showed up, and I saw this girl. I was like, I'm going to ask her out. And so I went up, and we were in, we had this, like, cafeteria. So I'm in the cafeteria, and I find her. And I go up to her, and I was like, hey, there's this date. You want to go with me? And she, without hesitating, without blinking, without smiling, said no. And I just looked at her. Is that how it's supposed to happen? Like, I had this in my mind going a different way. Now, not like, oh, we're in a convertible and we're now married. I didn't have that weird stuff. No, no, that's not. Uh, But I just stood there and it gets worse, y'all, because I looked at her and I was like, are you sure? (laughs) Like, like, like how desperate am I? Like, really? I'm looking at her like, you're missing out on all this. Really? You know, and, and she was like, I'm not missing out on anything, you know, like nothing. So sometimes it's hard to ask. And some of you, you're afraid for, about rejection. But here, Nehemiah, because of an ask, it opens up an opportunity. And God is going to lead you to make a big ask. And here, Nehemiah, it's not just that he's curious over cautious, but he chooses calling over his comfort. See, many of you, you think that you can stay in your comfort zone and fulfill your calling. And I'm here to tell you, you can't. You see, Peter had to do his greatest work outside of the boat. Peter's boat was in the water, and Jesus said, hey, come walk on water. And the greatest miracle that Peter was a part of was getting to walk on water, and it was because he decided, I'm going to get out of the boat. And some of you, you're like, no, I want to stay comfortable. This whole uh, Christian giveaway, yeah, I'll be here with my coffee and my donut holes, and I'll be there supporting you. That's not support. That's not support, all right? You say, oh, the heart for the house offering, that's nice. I'm looking forward to the building. I'm tired of setting up. I'm tired of the restrooms. I want to have a nice building. Are you going to give? Nope. Every week, we need volunteers. Are you going to volunteer? You're like, nope. You come back. You got your coffee. You got your muffins. And I'm, and I'm just going to say this. And, 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 and you can take it how you want to. But when we get in the new building and we're just sitting in those chairs and you haven't participated and you haven't served and you haven't given, I want you to know you're sitting in somebody else's sacrifice. Just a thought. Somebody else sacrificed for you to be there. You say, well, then, man, Pastor McConaughey, you're kind of stepping on my toes. If I'm stepping on your toes, it's crushing my feet. This is the reality I live with. Because I believe that God is calling us to greater things, but greater things cannot be accomplished inside of our comfort zone. You see, a lot of us, we want to be comfortable, and we want it easy, and we want to perform, and we want all these great things to happen, but we don't understand that it's going to take some, uh, uh, some discipline to go to the next level. It's going to hurt a little bit. You lift weights at the point where your muscles are going to grow. It's the point where you break down the proteins in your muscles to such a point where they now can grow stronger. But many of us, we don't want to get to the point and the pain that they break down. I said this a while ago, but I think it bears worth repeating. Please finish the phrase. No pain, no wrong. No pain, no power. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You want to have power? You want to lift weights? You want a stronger relationship? You want a better career? You want to be better with people? Guess what? No pain, no power. You will stay stuck because you refuse to ask the question that will open up the opportunity. It was a question. It was an ask that opened up the opportunity for a building. One question. What is Jesus famous for saying? You have not because you, yeah. And I think sometimes we're just like, well, God, just read my mind. Come on, you can do that, right? Why do I need to ask? Because he wants to hear his children ask. 
I love it when my kids ask me for something because it implies that they believe that I'm actually able to do it, that I'm actually able to supply that need. So it starts with an ask, but then Nehemiah chooses commitment even when it's complicated. And you're going to see that it's going to get complicated in his life, but Nehemiah is going to stay committed even though it's complicated. But here's the reason why we don't ask. It's really because we don't want the wrong answer. We're afraid of what the answer might be. Some of you, when it comes to asking God about, hey, God, there's this heart for the house offering. And God, how much should I give? Some of you are like, I'm not going to ask God because he may tell me to sell my car, give him my vacation. He might tell me to sacrifice a little bit. He may tell me to scale down. So I'm not going to ask because I'm worried about the answer. I want you to see something. Nehemiah asked the question, and guess what? He's going to be the answer to his own question. How are the people doing? God's going to use Nehemiah's prayer, and Nehemiah's going to be the answer to his own prayer. It just might be that God's going to use you to ask a question that's going to lead you to be the answer. Oftentimes, I have well-meaning church people. They'll come up to me. They'll say, hey, pastor, I have this vision that we could start a men's basketball on Wednesday night for men who love the color blue. Should we start it? And oftentimes, I look at them, and they look at me, and they're like, pastor, I really believe you should start this. And I'm like, why? I have enough vision that's filled me up. I've got so much vision. I've got so much already. I don't need to borrow yours. It could be that God gave it to you because he wants to do it through you. It could be that God put something on your heart. Therefore, it is your responsibility to execute it. Therefore, it's your idea. So you need to implement it so that you can see the impact of it. But too often, we're trying to delegate what God has deposited within us. God has put desires and dreams and goals inside of you. But oftentimes, we want to delegate it to somebody else. We want to pull the whole Jonah. God, go find somebody else. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't want to preach. God, I'm going to run from your will. I'm going to do something opposite instead of saying, God, what do you want? But here, Nehemiah, he's going to answer. He's going to answer his own prayer. And here's what's so powerful. Too often we think, well, when it comes to seeing God answer this prayer, and and we don't want to step out and ask, but here's, here's the reality. You say that you have faith, and you say you believe God. But I want to say this morning that really... When it comes to faith, our faith is revealed by our response. You see, there's a lot of people that say, I have faith. But yes, your response doesn't validate the fact that you do have faith. God is prompting you saying, hey, there's an offering. They're trying to get in this building and you haven't given. Will you give? Will you sacrifice? Nope. And God's saying, where's your faith? As a matter of fact, there was a man by the name of James. James wrote a book in the New Testament. And James even said this. He says, you say that you have faith. Show me your faith. I'll show you my works with faith. Because faith without works is dead. And you got to understand, James, he had a tough act to follow. Come on. Jesus was his big brother. All right. You talk about living in a shadow. Do you know how hard it was for James to go to a wedding after Jesus? Come on. Think about it. Anytime he went to a wedding, they ran out of wine. They just look at James. You know what Jesus did. Come on. Not even some grape juice. You can't do Kool-Aid. You can't give us some high C. You can't do nothing. Nothing, James. That's what he had to live with. All right, that pressure. But yet his faith, our faith is reflected by our response. So when you respond to what God puts on, you might be the answer to your own ask. That's why many times in the church we don't ask. Because we don't want to be the answer. Because we love to be insular. We love comfort. Instead of saying, you know what, we need to take the gospel, not just one day a week, but we need to go 24-7 with this gospel. We need to take this message to the South San Jose. We need to really impact our community and really have some strategic impact in our area. All of a sudden, we're like, yeah, go do that, as we just kind of hang back. Instead of saying, no, let's go and 
move forward on this. You see, I believe that's what makes our church different, though. Because here's what I told Jane last Sunday night. I said, it's interesting. We planted the church technically in 2014 in a movie theater. And I said, God gave us some good things, some great things happened. And uh, we have an interesting story. But January, we kind of hit the reset button. And I said, it's been interesting to see the faith of our people because our people actually believe we can take the mountain. Because this is confession time. Back in June when I asked, I didn't think it was going to happen. If you were to ask my wife if she thought it was going to happen, no, nobody just gives you a building in the Silicon Valley. They just don't do that. And, and, and I stepped back, and, 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 and then, then I started to pray bold things. We prayed for our grand opening that God would send 225 people. And God said, no, I'll do a little bit better. I'll send 337 people. And when we did our food truck Sunday, which wasn't just so we could feed the community, it was so that we could get people to the gospel. And we were praying for 500. And many of you were like, oh, we're going to have more than 500. And the count came in about 450, but yet we served 650 meals. So I don't know how we, can't, how we serve 650 meals, but yet we only had 450 in church. I don't get those numbers. You say, well, I ate like two or three. Okay, not everybody eats like you, though. All right? Not everybody does. All right? And so it's that, that we are saying things, and we're seeing God do it. It's that there is a faith in this house that believes that we can take the hill. There is something in this community that just believes that God can still do the impossible. And that just believes if we'll ask, God will answer. And that's Nehemiah. He's just saying, I'm just going to ask how the people are doing. And God is going to prompt his heart to be the answer to his own ask. But here's the problem that's been gnawing at my mind. And this has been it. Why Nehemiah? You ever just step back and ask God, like, God, why did you pick so-and-so? Like, God, why Peter? Obviously, he had some language issues. I mean, temper. I mean, really, God, why, why, why Peter? And you look at when God first met Peter, and, or Jesus did, and, and Jesus needed to preach, and he needs to, he needs to go out on the water because the crowd is forcing him into the water. And, and we look and say, hey, God, why pick Peter? Why pick Nehemiah? Why pick Abraham? Why pick David? Why pick these people? And yet, God answered my own question with his word. Because I grew up in the church, and if you didn't grow up in the church, you're kind of actually blessed. Because you don't look at the word of God like I look at it. I already know the ending of the story, and it's kind of messed up. I actually hate to know the end of the story before I've read the story. My wife and I, we have one show that we watch, only one. It's called This Is Us. Any This Is Us fans in the house? Yes, I hate this show. You say, why do you hate this show? Because whenever I watch it, I break down and I cry, all right? It's just, it's terrible. Now, it's our little routine that Friday or Sunday... We, as a happy married couple, sit down together to watch our show, all right? Now, this particular Friday evening, I'm taking our children, trying to be a good father, take them on a little activity, and yet when I get home, and now it's time to be with my wife and to watch our show that we watch together, guess what I discovered? She watched the show. Now... Yes, it's terrible. It's terrible. Pray for me, y'all. Now, here's what happened. It wasn't that she just watched the show. She does the next worst thing. There's like an 11th commandment. Thou shalt not spoil the show for the person who has not seen it, the show it. All right? It's there somewhere. And what does she do? She spoils it. She tells me the ending. And I couldn't stand it. I was like, are you kidding me right now? You're telling me the ending of the show? This is terrible. Just terrible. 
But I'm going to give you a little spoiler. Chapter 1, if you didn't grow up in the church, you know nothing about Nehemiah. You don't know his background. There's actually very little details about who this guy is. But if you grew up in church, you just kind of already assume these things. But if you didn't grow up in church, you don't know his connections. You don't know his backstory. You don't know what he does, what he's capable of. You don't know any of that. So when I came to verse number 11, I thought, this is so odd. Notice what, here's what verse number 11 says. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who's this man? Who's the man? He's praying to God, but who is this man? And all of a sudden, he answers this question by the last five words. I was the cupbearer to the king. Now, if you grew up in church, that's kind of like, yeah, so I, I knew that. But if you didn't grow up in church, it's kind of like, spoiler, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. I thought we were just dealing with normal, like David, shepherd dude, lowly on the totem pole, like, like why would God pick Nehemiah? I'm going to tell you why God picked Nehemiah. It wasn't just because he asked. It wasn't just because he was an answer. It was because of one reason. He had access. You see, the reason God chooses certain people is because of access. Because there are people you know that I don't know. There are resources you have that I don't have. There are things you can do that I can't do. Because it's not just enough that God wants to do something for you and to you. He wants to do something through you. Because you have access. And that's powerful. He said, why would God choose Peter? Because Peter had a boat. And Jesus just needed a boat. Don't overthink it, church. You have something God just wants to use. If you have an ability with children, serve children. You have an ability to sing, then you need to sing. If you have an ability and organize, then you need to organize. If you have an ability to set things up, then set things up. If you have an ability to plan, then plan. If you have an ability to serve, then serve. If you have an ability, then use it. God doesn't want to just work for you. He wants to work through you. But too often we come to church and we think it's all about me. But our church exists not for those who are inside of these four walls, but we exist for those that are outside of the four walls to bring them in to tell them about Jesus so their lives can be changed, so their life can be stirred. It's all about access. God saw that Nehemiah had unique access. The cupbearer was somebody who was very trusted by the king because he would taste the food of the king so the king would not be assassinated. So this had to be somebody you trusted. This had to be somebody who had influence. And that's Nehemiah. Could you think of a better person to have the favor of the king than Nehemiah? I get up pretty early most of the week, and on Sundays, it's, it's a little bit earlier. 4 a.m. to 4.30 is when I usually get up on a Sunday. I typically like, get up, and I do a prayer walk around our campus, and I just pray that God will work, and I pray that God will do something special. And then I come back, and it's about 5.30 this morning. Came back about 5.30, and it's chilly out. And so I don't know about you. I don't use my front door. Matter of fact, this is my key ring. I don't have a key to my front door. I don't use my front door. The only time I use my front door is if you knock on it and I let you in. That's the only time I use my front door. Anybody else, you don't use your front door. It's there. You don't know why. You, you could probably get rid of it, and it wouldn't be a big deal. Because why? I have a much bigger door. It's called a garage door, and that's what I use, okay? I know maybe you're like, no, get back. Be like, leave it to Beaver and all that. No, I just, I just, I use my garage door. So what I have is I have my garage door opener. So when I come back in the morning, I have my garage door opener, but my garage door opener, the batteries have been starting to die on me. So this morning, I'm clicking the clicker, and nothing is happening. I click, nothing. I clickety-click, nothing. <laughs> Clickety-click-click-click, nothing. No access, nada, zip, zilch. And I'm clicking this thing, and it's 5.30 in the morning. 
And even though she spoiled the TV show, I still love her enough not to wake her up. And I'm clicking. I'm like, you better let me in. Like, oh, oh, I'm trying. This thing should give me access, but I don't have access to my house because I don't carry a front door key. What normal person does, I don't. And I'm clicking. Nothing's happening. Clicking. Nothing. I feel like that's a lot like us. God's like, click. I want to use you. No access. God's like, I want to work through you. Nothing. I, I want to do something. I want to, I want to touch a family at this December 3rd, and we're going to have three services, and I want to use you to impact that family that they weren't sure that they were going to have Christmas, but yet you're going to load a tree on their car. You're going to see the smile on their face. You're going to see the tears in their eyes because there's a church that loves them. You're going to be there when we open up that building, when it's remodeled, and you're going to be there, and you're going to know that you sacrificed deep, and you were generous, and that God did something great through you because God wants access. He wants to click the button and things to open up because I believe that God can change the outcome of your income but yet you're still stepping back and saying, no, I'm just going to hang on to this. And God is like, I can open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you're not even able to have room to receive it. But here we are. We're just like, nope, God, no access. God's like, can I get access to your checkbook? Nope. Can I get access to your time? Nope. Can I get access to your treasure? Nope. I know the people in this story are thankful for a guy by the name of Nehemiah who said, God, I'm going to ask. I'm going to be the answer. God, you're going to get access. So God can do great things. This whole time we've been talking about the keys to success. And keys really are what make us successful. I got a key right here. Does anybody know what this key is for? It's not my front door. Now I'm my front door. I'm going to get rid of my front door. You all have to climb in through a window or come through my garage door. He say, what does this key give us access to? There's an address. It's 7076 Santa Teresa Boulevard. It used to be a Knob Hill grocery store. This is the key. We now have access. Because somebody asked. Our church answered, and now we have access. You see how that works? You see what great things God can do as you just say, yep, God, whatever. I'm going to say yes to God. We used to sing this old chorus. Yes, God. Yes, Lord, yes. No matter what, it's that yes. What are you holding back from God where he's like, okay, then I can't give you access. You see, you think that you're holding back something from you that you don't want God to get access to? Then there's things that God can't give you access to. It's a two-way street. Will a man rob God here and have you rob me in tithes and offerings? But I used to think this, and, and I know I'm taking a little bit extra time. The band's going to come up and please play me off. It's like the Grammys, Emmys, <coughs> Academies, whatever. I don't watch it. Academies. I just said Academies. That's great. Hashtag that. Our pastor says academies. Yeah, it's bad. And I don't have a front door. All right. But here and have you robbed God. Can you rob somebody of something they don't have? I can't steal something from you you don't have. If I didn't give it to God, how can I take it from God? Logical, right? At least in my mind. If I didn't give it to him, how could I steal it from him? 
That's not what the scripture is talking about. It says, herein have you robbed God. It's not that you've robbed God of his resources. You've robbed God of his ability to bless your life. That's what you've stolen. You say, I'm going to withhold the tithe. I'm going to withhold that. And you say, I don't believe in that. Okay, we can have that discussion later. But I'm telling you this. You will see windows of opportunity close around your life. Windows of blessing. You'll just say, what happened? I don't believe it's any accident we're given this building. Our church has invested tens of thousands of dollars back in our community. Tens of thousands. We could hire staff. We do a lot more. But every year, not just 10% of our budget, we put tons of money back in. You say, well, where's our return on that investment? I found it. That's where I found it. It took some time. You say, man, I, I just don't know. Holidays are coming. This is getting tough. I know. Every time we do a campaign, I feel it too. I feel it too. But I believe that God is going to do something great. I believe that God is going to do something incredible on December 17th. And I believe that you are going to experience some of your greatest success because you said, God, I'm going to give you access. Let's all stand. God, we commit our lives and our hearts to you. We're not holding back anything that's yours. God, it's not just that our lives that are committed to you. It's our resources. It's our time. It's our treasures. It's our talent. Because we believe in a God who is bigger than anything we face. You may be here this morning. And maybe God has put an ask on your heart. And you're worried about the question. And maybe you're saying, I don't know if I should ask God because what will the answer be? But maybe this morning God's speaking to your heart. And you've got a big ask that you've got to pray over. And you need someone to pray with you. You say, Pastor, yeah, this has been weighing on my heart. I know I need to ask. But pray that I have courage to do it. If that's you, can I pray with you? You slip up your hand. You say, I've got, I've got something in my life. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? I see that hand. Amen. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Because I believe God wants to use you if we'll surrender to his will.